What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today I'm fired up. Get to catch up with a former neighbor, if you may, a guy who used to work right down the street and a longtime colleague who now is uh, one of those guys that it's been fun to watch him develop, grow, and expand in his coaching career, and that's LSU Scott Kuhn. Scott, really excited to have you with us today, man. Welcome. And before we get too far into it, you know, who is Scott? How did you get down there to to LSU? And, and what's your what's your gig, man? Yeah. So, uh, like you said, my name's Scott Kuhn. I am a Chicago suburbs kid. Walk-on turn scholarship athlete that played at Illinois State University and uh, got to play my final game in a national championship. So, uh, that was really where I... I knew I wanted to be in sport preparation from a very early age. It was actually like seventh or eighth grade. If you remember the old frap your acceleration uh, programs, I was going to a facility that did that. And it just blew me away that there was a science to reaching your potential as an athlete. And so knew I wanted to be in that, that field. And then college kind of reinforced the, the more intangible aspects of, of working in a, in a team setting and, and, people aligned for a, for a common purpose. And I really enjoy that aspect of it a lot more than just a conventional private sector setting where you, you might have athletes from four different sports, four different age groups, and they're all just, you know, they're there um, to work out, but they're not necessarily working towards the same goal. Um, so I really quickly figured out that college training conditioning was what I wanted to do when I was a, a freshman or sophomore in, in college. And um, we, we talked about going back to, you know, how I, I ended up here and I really do, you know, I believe it stems from the experience I had at, at CBAPS and, and going back a little bit further to that um, and kind of speaking to some of the, the interesting, uh, you know, parallels and how things came to be uh, for my career was in, I think it was 2012, maybe or 2013 um, after Eric Coram had had a, a year of being at the University of Kentucky, there, there were some videos that he pushed out that um, just kind of spoke to the, the way they were approaching their, their training at, at Kentucky when he was there. And it spoke to the high performance model. And I remember just because I was trying to look up anything and everything I could find about college training conditioning and stumbled on those videos. And it was this huge light bulb moment for me of, you know, holy shit, this, this makes a lot of sense about how to look at sport preparation. And I just instantly fell down that rabbit hole of trying to find anything and everything that I could about the concepts that Eric was talking about. And the funny parallel is at the same time, our near and dear friend, Kirwan and Flat was in Argentina watching the same videos and holding it up to uh, the Argentina Pumas at the time to say, this is what we need to be trying to do here. And so that becomes funny, obviously, when you consider that we all ended up working together down the road. And so flash forward three years, my career wraps up. I'm a head strength and conditioning coach at a high school that's a couple minutes up the road from my, my hometown house. And I see that Eric is speaking at CVAPS. Don't even remember how I, you know, found out that, that CVAPS was a conference. I was, you know, fresh out, still relatively green to the, the field, if you will. And, um, I begged, borrowed, and pleaded with my parents because I was, you know, broke, fresh out of college student and uh, a uh, stipend for being a head strength coach at a high school is not necessarily a livable wage. 
And so um, parents helped me get out to CVAPS for that seminar. And I went out there knowing nobody whatsoever. I was just, you know, I knew it was somewhere that I knew enough people speaking. Landon Evans was a, a strength coach of mine in college, and he was also speaking there in that, that year. Um, but really just went out there. I was like, you know what, let me just go hear Eric speak, maybe get a chance to meet him and uh, see where, where things go from there. So he spoke the first night. Uh, this was when it was at the hotel. And, um, or excuse me, it was on campus. It was on campus, never mind. Um, and we were at the social hour uh, after the first night of presentations. And my roommate for it was Anthony Paroli, who's now with the Buccaneers as their head strength coach. But at the time, he was still Buddy Morris's intern uh, with the Cardinals. Uh, but him and I were roommates, and um, he, he you know, knew a few more people in the industry than I did at the point. And so I ended up you know, just kind of hanging with him. And uh, Eric sat down at our table. And so I just got to listen to them all talk and, and fall swiftly off the, uh, the peak of the Dunning-Kruger effect and, and realize how much these people knew about sport prep and how much deeper it goes than, you know, kind of what was readily available uh, online at that point. And so then Eric ended up leaving that night. He was off somewhere else. Uh, but I remember I walked out after him and he'll tell it the, the same way that, you know, it was kind of this like, um, you know, kind of starstruck moment for me of getting to meet this guy that, you know, I, I held up at that point and still obviously hold up at this point in such high regard for the, the lens that he has towards sport preparation. And I, I just told him I, I was, I enjoyed, you know, his lens on, on how he looks at sport prep and that I would love to come be a part of what they were doing in Kentucky if uh, he would have me. And so he had me send my, my CV along. And so I ran back to my uh, dorm and, sent that off immediately. And the next day he's calling me and asked if I want to come to a training camp in two weeks. So immediately pack up all my stuff and move myself to Lexington and got the experience of interning for him on the, you know, more of the sports science side of things, but then also working as a strength coach because I was accredited. Um, I was able to get a lot of experience coaching uh, the actual team, not just standing there setting up, breaking down and, and, uh, wiping benches off, I, I actually got to coach. And so I just got chucked in the deep end of this kind of dual role, if you will, that became the, the theme for my, my career thus far. And uh, really get to see it up close, get to have a lot of conversations with Eric and, and just learn more deeply about what that sort of approach and what high performance sport can look like at, at you know, the highest level with SEC football. And so that led me through, uh, finished up my season there, went off to a graduate assistantship at Tulsa. And then uh, I was doing the, uh, reaching out to friends I had in the, the industry looking for, for full-time jobs as my GA position wrapped up. And Eric was one of those people I reached out to, and he offered me an opportunity to come work for him at William & Mary, where he was going to be an AD for student athlete high performance. And of course, that was a no-brainer to, to go back and work for somebody that had such a formative impact on me was obvious choice. And then he starts mentioning that he's going to, you know, do I know this rugby strength coach, Kier Wenham Flat guy? Have I heard of him or seen his work? And of course, yeah, he was, you know, all over the internet, very prominently as rugby strength coach at that time. Uh, but he said, he's going to, you know, come work with us because of what, the presentation that he saw again at CVAPS uh, that, where Kier was talking about his RTP approach. And so that led to all of us working together. And it was just a, a perfect you know, we all had the same lens towards uh, development, athletic development. 
obviously the uh, extremes that you know of Eric and Kier of, of who they are uh, made it a very interesting journey. And then I kind of sat in the, the intermediary of the two of them, uh, but we all worked together really, really well. And so we did uh, two years and some change at William and Mary. And that, that was, uh, I've told everybody that was really the most, it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been as a practitioner and a professional in the best way possible because they have such high expectations for how you go about the job and being able to provide, you know, reason to everything that you're doing and, and have what you're doing hold up to an intellectually rigorous discussion about it. And they spent a lot of time, you know, in a very helpful way, shooting holes in what I did as a practitioner and, and just, you know, learning by truly how they did things, getting to learn what to do versus, you know, other experiences that I've had uh, previously where you're learning a lot of what not to do. And uh, so just getting to be around them and, and, you know, things like car rides and uh, road trips with them where we're just talking for hours on end. We're just, I was in a perpetual state of having my mind blown by uh, the way that they looked at things and the, the ideas and conversations that would come up from really the two of them uh, going back and forth and me just kind of sitting there feeling like I know absolutely nothing in the world. And that uh, came to an end during the pandemic and I went off to the University of Arizona. So I got to work with football only and, and start to lock in more to a, uh, a sports science type role where I was predominantly just working with the GPS system and then helping to structure the, the practice design coming out of the pandemic and you know, everybody's favorite buzzword from that year, unprecedented uh, buildup or lack thereof that we had going into that 2020 season. Uh, and it was just, a, it was an opportunity to narrow my focus and you know, William and Mary, it was uh, four to six sports at any given time. And then running data science as best I could across the entire athletic department with no budget. So you I just figured out how to put together a minimum viable product for everybody to kind of what we talked about before we started just be able to do dose and response and look at RPE data and a wellness score and onboarded all of them to it and sent them on their way. And just, if they used it, great. If they didn't, I wasn't going to sit there and, and be, you know, looking over their shoulder to make sure they, they did it or not. But I was at least going to afford them some sort of capability for tracking if they wanted to utilize it. And so then at Arizona, I was actually able to sit down and say, okay, I just have one team and I have the role of, piecing practice together and being able to, to make a strong case for why we need to structure practice in a certain way, you know, one from just a, a general good practice standpoint of how you would put together a, an ideal practice week, in, in my opinion, in American football. Uh, but then two, coming out of, they had anything but a conventional summer buildup. They had no spring ball. Um, and then at the time leading into the season, they, they were doing three 40 minute sessions uh, with you know, half the team would come in for 40 minutes. The other half would come in for the second half because of the regulations. And so to go from that to all of a sudden, we're going to be pads on playing a game five weeks later against number 20th ranked USC at the time. Um, that, that required a little bit more uh, of a strategic approach than you can otherwise kind of get away with in a normal year. And, and so I really got to dive deep on that and really learn from what we did at, at William and Mary with practice design and, and trying to, to guardrail it appropriately to elicit the outcomes that you want while still giving autonomy to the coaches and making aspects of it feel like it's their idea. 
and got to learn a lot from that and, and really, you know, fine tune and reinforce why I, I believe what I believe and, and put a lot of it into practice with a coach and staff that was very uh, agreeable to it, given the circumstances. Unfortunately, we were still uh, not good at football and I ended up uh, getting let go with the rest of the staff at the end of the year. And so I stayed on with Olympic sports for a year and built up some more things in terms of secondary streams of income, putting out some products, doing a lot more with YouTube channels, what have you. And that kind of led me to a very um, spur of the moment, opportune uh, moment where a connection that Kier had introduced me to a guy named Jake Flint. Um, we had some conversations and he offered me the opportunity to come down here and, and work at LSU with the, the football program and um, to get back into football, obviously, and to, to do it at a place that, you know, there's, it's really kind of sandbox mode with, with what we want to do and, and the resources that we have to do it and to really make it what we want it to be. And so my title here is manager of applied sports science, which is the, very eloquent way to say that I'm a nerdy strength coach. So I'm not one of the football five and which I, I enjoy um, because the prioritization I've gotten from Jake in that is, you know, I'm able to, to focus on the, the sports science side of things and, and making sure that the way we go about testing, what we're doing from a monitoring standpoint, I, I get to prioritize doing that and making sure that that is really sound. Uh, and then with compliance rules, it's been interpreted that I can coach for safety. So I, I still get to kind of fill that niche of coaching that that'll never be something I want to be completely removed from, but it's just been something that's naturally become less prevalent for me, uh, with where we're at, what we're doing, what we're trying to do on the, the sports science side of things. And a lot more of my coaching now is working across the entire program and you know being able to coach football coaches sports medicine uh nutrition whoever it may be and, and communicate to them effectively you know cue them effectively if you will as to what we're looking at why we're looking at it what the significance of it is um and then also figuring out ways to continue to advance what we're doing beyond just uh you know saying oh hey they got faster they got stronger and so that's that's where i'm at right now and uh it's hot as hell down here. It's like high nineties with humidity in the 60 to 80%. So it's good hot part of summer. And we're going to wrap up summer workouts today and then have a week off and start fall camp and be in year two already. It's a pretty rad journey, man. Um, I think that selfishly, the coolest part is that you were a gateway football guy. It was still the gateway when you were there, right? Yeah. Like it wasn't the Mo no, Valley. It was Missouri Valley. It, it was, was Missouri already. Valley. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I thought Landon was there up until the transition, but that's what, so then you played under, was Rourke there too then? Rourke was my strength coach my freshman year. Um, that's wild. He phenomenal. That's, Cannot that, say enough good things about him. Yeah. I mean, like I've spoken about this a couple of times, like, like quietly, he's got like a sensational coaching tree that I don't think enough people talk about because probably they're like, a lot of them are in this like tweener age group, like that I'm kind of in right now where mm -hmm. people, some people are still coaching, but like Landon's um, doing more on the track side and like more on the administrative side. And like people have, you know, people have advanced and done things like that, but that's pretty sweet, man. I, I, I always forget well, that you played there and that Landon yeah. was there too. 
That's well, how I look back at it too. Yeah. I look back at it too. And I'm like, my freshman year in particular, Rourke was my head strength coach. He had Christian Carter and Landon Evans as assistants. Um, and Christian Carter's phenomenal. Uh, Landon is just a savant and one of the most brilliant people I've ever, you know, been around. And I, I appreciated it then, but as I've gotten deeper into the field and, and seen the work that he, he produces and come to be able to better understand it, my, my appreciation for, for what he has added and, and adds to the field is grown exponentially. Um, and then even my, my recruiting coach is now the associate head coach and wide receivers coach at Alabama and phenomenal human, obviously a very strong pedigree as a, as a football coach with the wide receivers Alabama's turned out the last six years. Um, and then my position coach uh, has been wide receivers coach at Penn state and uh, Miami down in Florida and is now currently with the, the air force. And so I just like, I look at the people that were you know most immediately working with me day to day and who I had for my, my freshman year. And it was like, really, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to have such good coaching in that first year and, uh, you know, be very formatively exposed to high level coaches, uh, both from the football side and from the, the strength and conditioning side. So I just, again, I was very formally uh, immersed uh, in the field in, in a way that I, you know, it, it rhymes with principles that I, that I still hold near and dear to this day. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm very fortunate in that light. That's rad, though, man. That's rad. One thing I want to get us going with here to get kind of down the rabbit holes that we talked about earlier was, you know, when, when you were talking about Eric, you said he spoke to the high-performance model that really, like, interested you and, and got you to kind of start running down these rabbit holes and, and it made sense and clicked with you. But I think that all too often when we talk about high-performance models – there's the stupid joke, right? Like there's no such thing as a low performance model, right? <laughs> or like uh -huh. we're all here to try to improve performance. But I think that what's valuable to people that are in that and submersed in that world is what, what does that mean to you? Like what is the high performance model and like how do you evaluate it and what does it mean to Scott? To me, it's at 30,000 feet, it's – this holistic lens towards the way that athletes are prepared and that does not stop at the weight room doors on the training field, on the practice field, it's being able to account and atone for all of it and make sure that all those pieces are working collaboratively and collectively to move the athletes in the same direction. You know, I always kind of liken it and especially at a place like here where there are so many entities and departments that have a, a hand on the athletes day to day. Um, if you've got the athletes at the center of it, everybody kind of gets their respective chunk of flesh of what they, they need from the athletes. If it's sports medicine, it's having them come in proactively for, uh, you know, treatments and recovery modalities. If you're athletic development, it's obviously training sessions, sport coaches want film and practice, of course. Uh, dietitian has them on supplement regimens and, and uh, meal checks. Uh, sports psychology, maybe teaching them mental performance, academics, of course. Um, and now you've got, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, they've got the NIL, it, so they have NIL obligations. So that everybody's trying to get their their one, you know, chunk of flesh of what they need for their respective department. And what it, it was pretty cool, there was a um, coach Kelly was on Bussin' with the Boys, and he was 
en route to a, uh, a presentation that I was heading up to our Booster Foundation Sports Properties groups about just everybody conventionally knows what strength and conditioning is. They know what sports medicine and nutrition are. Um, but sports science was a, a new department for a majority of those stakeholders here at LSU. It's, it's not something that's been formally established here prior. And so it was just a, an awareness meeting, a, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're you know looking at things. Here's what we want to be able to do. And uh, but in that podcast, Coach Kelly was speaking about, you know, what he thought the role of sports science was. And he, he spoke to um, just the, the fact that there are so many different departments that are working with so many different aspects of the program. And if there, there's not kind of an entity or a vessel there to ensure that all of it is working harmoniously and that information sharing is maximized, people are able to synchronize and collaborate and look at data all the same versus, you know, somebody keeps data in Excel here, another person keeps it in Tableau or Power BI here, I've got the third in Smartabase, and you're just, you're not able to centralize it and ultimately make sense of the information in the same way. And it just becomes cumbersome to go place to place. And what, you know, the kind of the, the task has been uh, for me is to find ways to, to get all of that under one roof, bring people into that under that roof, if you will, to be able to look at information and, and make sense of it and, and ultimately make decisions with their respective expertise in, in their domains and, and move the athletes forward in the same direction. Because if everybody's, you know, just trying to, well, I just need what I need for NIL. I just need what I need for uh, their treatments, their training, whatever it may be. You can end up with diametrically opposing forces that might be working to the exact opposite of what somebody else is trying to accomplish versus making sure that everybody understands what the goal is, where the athletes need to go and pushes them in that same direction versus trying to pull them in their specific direction. So it's just to be more illuminating of all the stressors acting on the athletes. And that's, you know, of course the stress that we impose on the field, but it's an awareness of the stressors that are away from the field. And so we're able to have conversations about, you know, how their, their academic schedules are designed and, you know, making sure that we're giving them adequate opportunities for, for rest at the right times of year. And obviously, you know, rest on the day to day with not waking them up super early all the time to, to train and then go right to class and have this full on day, knowing what their sleep habits are like. So we're able to have those bigger conversations about, you know, not only the physical, technical, tactical, and, and mental here. And it, you know, one of the pieces I appreciate is that coach Kelly calls that our, our total preparation model. And so we talk about the physical, the technical, the tactical, and the mental. And, you know, we're able to look at development with that lens. And then we're also able to have the conversations about the, the lifestyle pieces of it, because of course, nutrition is huge here. Um, but we want to talk to the athletes a lot about their sleep, about how they manage their stress and their academics. And we also want to put them in positions to succeed um, versus taking it out of them with, with 6 a.m. training sessions every day knowing they don't go to bed till, you know, midnight or 1am every, every night, um, putting them in positions to succeed and then trying to, you know, move the needle on optimizing what they do on a day-to-day basis. So it's, it's just a very globally encompassing lens of looking at preparation and realizing that does not stop at the facility doors. I love it, man. A holistic lens towards how athletes are prepared might be probably the, 
the most broad, but also most like locked in definition I've heard of that because it's also something that doesn't hamstring you if you are in a position like we are where you know it was similar to yours uh down in Williamsburg where you know you kind of had to wear a multitude of hats you know you can still keep in mind these things and you can still build these you know these systems out where it can help I mean it may not be as in-depth and it may not be as you know dialed in each individual as it can be because of strict you know time limitations there's only 24 hours in a day and at some point we have to sleep doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many monsters you crush throughout the day you know <laughs> or you yeah. know i mean eventually you've got to get your twenty thousand steps in to make sure that you know you're able to do things later and this that and the third but when it comes down to it i think that a a, a great perspective that you can provide in that sense is that you've seen it from how do I say this from like where you're at now, where you have free reign in a sense and the ability to lock in on these specifics and be sort of the joint that connects the different bones of this moving organism. That is the high performance model, right? Where you can collect Mm -hmm. the data and talk to people and communicate things, but aren't necessarily the, the decision maker. Mm-hmm. to like where we are where as the strength coach i'm running the weigh-ins building the smoothies running the warm-up stretching the guys individually before practice collecting the data exporting the data communicating the data eventually going home <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> so where do you see all of these processes in scott's professional opinion where do you see places that people can start to build this holistic lens? I do. It's funny. I've been asked this question a couple of other times as well. And I, to me, it is most, it, it fundamentally comes back to understanding the, the dose response relationship. But what we're looking to do is we're looking to apply a stressor at a particular time of year. Certain times of year, it's going to be more of a, physical preparatory stressor. Other times a year, it's going to be more specific preparatory stressors practice. Um, And the game is the stress that we're trying to prepare them for. We also need to be able to understand how the athletes are responding to that stress. And, you know, was it too much? Was it too little? Was it just right? Did we get the response that we anticipated from that stressor? Can we push them more? Do we need to back off? And I have liked you know, if all you do is find a really robust and consistent way to evaluate stress. So that could be trims from a polar system that could be SRPE and calculating trim from that, that could be a GPS system. If you have it available to you, some sort of way to quantify the stress imposed and then to quantify the response to that stressor. So maybe it's just that you, you have GPS data and you're collecting an RPE on that session as well. So now you're getting the response that they felt or perceived to that session. And I've always, I've liked the, the framework Laden talks about in a couple of his articles where you have, you know, internal and external uh, monitoring strategies, and then you have subjective and objective 
lenses uh, within each of those. So like internal subjective is going to be an RPE. Uh, external subjective is going to be like a coach RP, a coach appraisal of how the practice went. Uh, external objective, GPS, internal objective, an aura ring, uh, a heart rate monitor, what have you. And, and, you know, he talks about large world and small world models. And those are all each little subdomain or, or um, you know, intertwining of internal, and external, objective, subjective is its own kind of small world model. And, and so if you are able to, to piece together a couple of different uh, small world models, you get a more complete picture of what's going on. You, you can't just look at GPS data or just, um, you know, RPA trim data and call it a day. I think you have to be able to understand the interaction of one with the other um, to be able to make some inferences about if you're actually moving the needle in the direction that you want to be moving it at the, the right time of year. And so rather than trying to do everything all at once. I think it has to be thought about from a, a minimum viable product standpoint of let's understand the, the stress we're applying and let's understand how they're responding to stress. And let's do those two things very, very well until it's you know embedded within the culture of the team to just give accurate, honest feedback. We, we talked about that a little bit before too, that you can run into this um, you know constraint that if the athletes, you're constantly having to spend time chasing them down to, to do the survey or they just go through and fill it out all eights. Um, you know, that data obviously doesn't do much for you. And so if you're able to spend a lot of time on, on education, and I also think too, part of that to get good, honest feedback is showing a willingness to adjust and iterate based upon what the data is telling you. And it's not to say that you always throw them a bone because a kid reports one bad day, because that can incentivize that the kid just wants to fill it out, you know, if they have a particular aversion to conditioning work and they know that if they have a, a bad wellness survey, they'll get, you know, adjusted or removed from an activity. They might just happen to have really bad days on their wellness survey on the days that you're doing conditioning work. And so I, I think you have to show one, if you have systems in place that, um, you know, speak to, to trends rather than maybe, you know, one bad day. Um, you can kind of guardrail for a little bit of that and at least kind of understand, uh, you know, is it just they're trying to get out of conditioning or is it an actual trend that we need to be alerted to? Or is there a particular value that we're looking at within that wellness data that we're a little bit more uh, aware of because it has a higher ROI in terms of how the athletes you know, may need to be adjusted because we don't want to necessarily uh, put them in a compromising position. Um, but I think very fundamentally just starting there and then the questions start to, from my experience, start to naturally ask themselves and the, the depths start to become a little bit more apparent of where you want to go versus feeling like, well, we've got to have aura, we've got to have GPS, we've got to have VBT, we've got to have four stacks and Nordboard and trying to do it all and barely scratching the surface with any of it and ultimately not getting any high utility data from it or meaning from it. Um, it's so much better to, to start with less and then expand to more. And that's kind of been the, the theme for my career is that I, I learned how to do a lot, not having a lot when I was at uh, William and Mary and even really going back to university of Tulsa, because I start, that's where I truly began kind of playing around with how can we derive meaning from some data points that we're collecting. And I believe it was actually 
another plug. Um, I believe you had Hewitt Tomlin write a chapter in one of the CVAPS manuals one year. And he wrote about just basic data visualization. And I was reading that and I said, okay, well, we're collecting, you know, some wellness data from our athletes. And we had, I believe we had polar straps at that point. So we had the, the trim data from it. I was like, let's just start doing some, some basic workload monitoring and, and basic uh, wellness survey. And, and let's just begin to understand the interaction of those two. And, and you know, for the guys that we were monitoring, because I think we only had 15 guys on it, um, small school budget life. And l- let's just start to make some sense of that and, and start there. And then William and Mary, we, I did have a couple of tools at my disposal, but could only go so far with all those because of how uh, thin I was spread just in terms of my workloads as a performance coach for four to six teams and then trying to do the data science side of it um, with every team and especially being concentrated with football, basketballs and lacrosse. Um, and then I had more uh, opportunity and, and more ability to uh, be more of a, um, a mile deep and an inch wide versus a mile wide and inch deep on everything. Um, I just got, I got to go deeper at Arizona and then I had a little bit more time with a few other uh, technologies when I was on the Olympic side and I got, I got to spend more time learning and growing in my utility of those technologies because I was not on the floor nearly as much with my Olympic team workload. And now I've gotten here and the time I've had, I still don't feel like I have enough time, but because my concentration is entirely on these technologies i've been able to you know carry elements that i or carry tools that i've had at my disposal previously through to this and those are very second nature to me and now we've added in some some other tools as well that afford me time to to learn how to use those and how to go deeper with those uh because everything else that i'm doing is pretty second nature to me at this point so but it's been a very naturally gradual process of starting with bare minimum, getting really well versed in that, and then adding another layer to it, whether it's another tool or it's, um, you know, a deeper analysis of that tool that I've already been exposed to. Um, It's progressed very naturally in that way. And it it all very fundamentally stemmed from that notion of understanding dose and understanding response and having very good systems for monitoring those two variables um, and then iterating from there and, and growing what you do from there. Yeah, man. I think that that whole idea of understanding dose and response is really what gets a lot of people that get into kind of the sport nerd mode. Um, it gets, gets them started, you know, and it, whether it be GPS or Omega wave or whatever other device people are using at this point. Um, I think everyone's had that moment where they've looked at something and been like, huh, I guess there's more to this than I thought. And then it gets a little crazy with the rabbit holes you run down and the decisions you make and the mistakes that you trip over and all of those things that that make it really fun in in the long term because then you can look back and say, there were some really good ideas and some really dumb ones. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I was bouncing in and out of, you know, back in the day. Um, but, you know, Scott, this has been a sensational 35 minutes to begin with. But, you know, you talked about products and 
social media and, and other things like that. So before we get out of here, I, I got to make sure that we get you to be able to talk about the stuff that you have available and the work that you've done and the things that you've built and especially where people can keep in touch with you in, in the internet world, because I think that's really important. Yeah. So the kind of my first dabble in the, the e-commerce world was uh, I did a post initially about the warm-up framework that I, I use. And it was something that I, I had at William and Mary and it was just like, it was my way of, I, I realized the, developmental return on the fact that warmups are so consistent day in and day out throughout the year and that there, there's an opportunity there if you, if you see it as developmental time to expand an athlete's toolbox uh, from a physical standpoint you, you go through some of the, the more unconventional exercises if you will for instance tumbling gymnastics uh any sort of like uh carries or crawls and, and what have you and athletes don't have as big of a toolbox when it comes to the things that, you know, kind of very naturally happen in chaotic sport. And so it, it became this, you know, initially I just posted about here's how I, I systemize it so that I can, you know, go out and all I've got to do is print off my warm up card for the four weeks and I can just rotate through each of the warm ups and ensure that the athletes are, are, you know, continuing to get developmental opportunities, even when they're, uh, physical training is maybe not a, at the highest priority at that point of the year. And a couple of people commented on it and said, is this a, a product or something you'd sell me? And it was one of those, not yet. Um, and so I, I quickly turned around and filmed a bunch of videos for it and, and put it together as best I, I could with, you know, no experience having made uh, e-commerce products before and uh, began selling that. So that's on my, um, if you go to my link tree on my Instagram, uh, I don't know if the Instagram name has changed yet with the, uh, changing social media handles these days, but, um, there's a, a Shopify link there that will take you to that, that warm up template. And then I've got the annual planner template that I use. And I do, I think for the most part, annual plans are, are eyewash for administrators and to show them like, oh, look at this fancy chart. But I do think there are a lot of kind of 30,000 foot ways to structure them that will remain constant and truly give you a roadmap for where you're going, knowing full well the, the X's and O's of what you actually do at that time are going to change, especially if you're somebody that is going to be fluid to what your, your monitoring systems are telling you. Um, it, I think the, the annual planner template that I kind of built out for myself, I found to be very high utility to keep me on track with what I'm aiming to do developmentally at different times a year uh, while not getting too caught up in, oh, I'm going to, you know, five sets of three, it's 72 and a half percent on this week. That's six months away, knowing full well, my athletes could be having a meltdown that week. And you know what, we're just going to go and um, do some sort of uh, bodyweight circuit instead to just get them moving, get them feeling good. And send them on their way to, to recovery modalities. So that product's on there as well. Um, I have list stuff listed for the uh, Google Sheets dashboards that I, I've built out and talked to building out on Strength Coach Network. Uh, so I, I have done that for um, universities and for, for individual uh, private organizations as well. So that's another one that, that I make available. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. But all of my social medias are Scott Kuhn 88. So that's Scott K U E H N 
and then 88. Um, that's where I can be found uh, anywhere on the internet these days. Uh, my email is in my link tree as well. So if uh, anybody has a question, wants to, to talk more, I'm, I'm happy to make myself available via email. And I think that's about all of it. That's rad, brother. We'll make sure that, you know, that you've got links in the show notes here and, and everywhere to get people to, te- uh, to check all that out because it is great stuff. And I want to make sure that we're supporting people that are putting out good work and doing things to help people grow and get better. So that's rad. That'll be in there and make sure that when you guys X out of the podcast here in about a minute and a half, you go over, if you're not giving them a follow, um, hop over there and do so because you know, he does, he's sharing a lot of good stuff and he's putting things out there to make sure that everybody continues to grow. So Scotty, man, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today, man. This, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I think it's, it's funny, you know, the, the two kind of like full circle life comes at you fast moments I, I've had, you know, have been anchored around CVAPs. And like the, the first one being when I went to CVAPs in 2015 and was meeting Eric for the first time. And then thinking back or flashing forward um, four years later in 2019, he's my roommate because we're colleagues and we're going to CVAPs as, you know, friends and colleagues. And, um, you know, just how far I, I was uh, able to go in that, that short time and, you know, how much opportunity he afforded me to be in that position. And then to, to be here and, and be recording this with you on the CVAPs podcast is, is you know, it's one that I've followed for years and it's had a lot of heavy hitters and just very sound practitioners on it. So to be able to do this is, is really flattering for me and, and um, enjoyable. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, appreciate the kind words, brother, and always, you know, appreciate everything you do and, you know, your friendship and, you know, always being there to bounce things off of and your support with everything we've done here, man. It means a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. And as always, thank you for everything y'all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We'll see you then.